0: Well good morning. How is everybody this morning? Good. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Uh, My name is Will. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, uh, I have the honor of serving on staff here at Grace and uh, really excited to bring the word to you this morning. Big shout out to our online community, those who are watching online Labor Day weekend. So I'm assuming that there are many of you who are online because you're not here. So I'll be checking in to make sure that you are online. Um, and huge shout out to our Heritage Green uh, location and those who are worshiping with us over there at Heritage Green. I was just over there uh, this morning and said hey to those folks. And uh, something happened last week where there was some kind of miscommunication and we were not able to have anyone over there and and they missed it. Uh, they, they missed it. They uh, enjoy this and it is um, uh, really good for them to have worship and the Word brought and the, so, uh, the, the fellowship. Um, we have a group of at least one or two people we try to have over there every week. And uh, if you want to be a part of that team, just uh, just let me know and we're going to have a meeting here in a couple of weeks and try to shore some of that up. But it has been fantastic. Uh, but yeah, last week last week something happened. There was a miscommunication and I don't know about you, but it just seems like uh, every everywhere in our world, everywhere, has miscommunication to some degree or another. I don't know about you, but in uh, your work or at your family, I'm sure that communication has been a topic of conversation here or there. Anyone struggle with communication at some point this week even? Anyone? Okay. A C- couple people. Okay. couple looks at the spouse. Don't do that here. Not here. Not not this morning. Save that for the drive home. Uh... <laughs> Uh, communication is one of those things, I mean, companies spend bukoos of dollars communicating to clients, to customers, to, to future clients and customers, the product that they have to sell. Companies spend bukoos of dollars learning and trying to figure out communication within companies. Um, marriages uh, experience separation and divorce because of communication. In and, and many of the studies that I see, it's usually one of the top two or three reasons that marriages fall apart is this communication piece between uh, husband and wife, between spouses, and, and it's hard. Anyone familiar with Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages book, the idea, the concept there? Yeah, it, it's amazing. He points out how, how we can express love to someone who has a different love language as he's deemed it, and they don't get it at all. And it really is like speaking a different language. And, and I've heard these conversations from couples before who say, I'm just not sure if if they love me anymore. And the other person looks just completely dumbfounded and said, I, I have showed that to you so many times. And it really is a it's a miscommunication that we're just not speaking the same language and, and love expressed is not being received in the way it was intended and and it's hard. It's really hard. We experience the same thing in the church and in church world. Every church I've been a part of has struggled with this communication thing. How do we get information out to people who need to know at the right time they need to know and the right information they need to know? Every church I've been a part of has had bulletins and newsletters and a email weekend update kind of thing and Facebook and a website and all this kind of stuff and ways to communicate announcements on Sunday morning and inevitably there's still people who come up and say oh I didn't know we were doing that and in the back of my mind I really want to say we've announced it for a few weeks it's been in the newsletter it's been on the website it's (laughs) where'd where'd you miss it (laughs) but that's not helpful so I don't say that and sometimes it is it is a struggle that we have and and we don't communicate it at the right time in the right place and and that is a failure on our part. And we talk a lot of staff about how we can communicate better and, and ways to get that out. And this isn't leading up to some kind of big announcement that we're making and um, sharing information with you guys. We, we struggle though. You know, we have 60 minutes on a Sunday morning and we deeply believe that our purpose and mission during this time is to gather the church together for worship. The worship of singing songs, the worship of, of looking in the scriptures and and sometimes there's business things like the bylaws and the congregational meeting next week that's not really worship. It's important, but it doesn't, it's not really worship. There's construction updates and things that are happening and where you can park, where you can't park. And, and those things are important. It's not really worship. And we, we want to guard this time. We have 60 minutes. So to take six minutes to talk about those things is 10% of our time that we're here together. And church, I don't know about you, but 60 minutes of corporate worship a week? And that's not enough. I'd love to get together two or three or four times a week to worship and to dive into Scripture and and all these things, but we're busy and there's other things going on and and it's just hard sometimes. And so we do our best to gather and communicate what we can when we can. and, And Scripture communicates God's word to us and what happened years ago and what he wants to tell us today. And, and I'm really excited to dive in and continue the study in Matthew that we've been doing today or for the last few weeks. For the last few weeks, we, we've started this series of the book of Matthew that's going to last for many more weeks because Matthew's a pretty big book. But we've started in the first part of the series that we've, enabled, that we've, we've called Rerooted. And for the first part of Matthew, what we've seen is how he wants to communicate to his Jewish audience here the absolutely foundational truth about who Jesus is. The truth about this person that you've read the prophecies about, that you heard the prophets talk about, that this person that you've been expecting, the Messiah, the Son of God, this is him, and let me show you the prophecies that he fulfills from the Old Testament that you've, you've known to expect. And, and here he is, and how he, here's how he's fulfilled these. And last week, we looked at the beginning of his ministry. He was baptized by John the Baptist. He went up and he spent time with God. He prepared himself first before starting ministry. And then we read in chapter 4 of Matthew, Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Later, Matthew describes the way that Jesus taught as being one with authority. His teaching was unique. His teaching was different from the religious leaders of the day. They taught, but there is something special about the way Jesus opened up the Scriptures. Not just as one who knew them. Not just as one who had memorized a few of them and kind of was familiar with them, but one who actually had authority authority. Coupled that with healing every disease and sickness among the people, and and a crowd started to to gather. And a crowd started to form. And and in Matthew chapter 5, what we see is is at least what Matthew remembers is the first thing that Jesus taught to his disciples. The first thing that he really taught to the crowds as they gathered. And what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of I want to go through this first section. We refer to it as the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. But before we dive into it, what I want to do is I just want to read them over you. Because remember, we're trying to strike this balance between an overview of the book of Matthew and remembering it as 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 one cohesive letter, which it was. You know when, when the New Testament letters were written and they, they went to their original audience, they were, they were read at one time, they were read in one setting, and they didn't dissect them the way that we tend to today. And so we want to balance this kind of overview along with diving in and seeing the intricacies of Scripture and how the Spirit of God moved and, and wove this story together, which is beautiful. So as we start, we're going to kind of go through these, but I just want you to listen. I just want you to listen as I read this this morning. And don't try to figure out where we're going to go. Don't try to figure out the point of today's message and and jump ahead. Just listen to this. Close your eyes if you want to. It'll also be on the screen. But just listen to these words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after He sat down, His disciples came to Him. Then He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. for The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And just think about it for a second as you put yourself in the shoes of a first century Christian, where, where this is new, and this isn't very popular. There aren't many people who are following Jesus And how comforting and full of hope this would have have sounded to them. There's a couple of things I want to mention before we dive into this. The first thing is that this this section is really divided up into two. There's eight Beatitudes here. There's eight blessings here. And the first four describe the relationship, the vertical relationship between us and God. And the second four describe the horizontal relationship between us and other people. And before we dive into this, we need to make sure we understand even just a basic idea of what a blessing is. Because a a blessing today is something totally different as we use it compared to what a blessing is in Scripture. We we say a blessing today when someone sneezes. Not really sure that's what a blessing was in Scripture, just in case you're curious. I think we end up using this word blessing today as a substitute for a secular word that we might not be so comfortable with in church world today, and we equate this idea of a blessing with luck. Hannah and I were in a pretty bad car accident a few years ago, and when we tell people the story about what happened, they say, wow, we were so blessed. And this was the kind of car accident that it wouldn't be surprising if someone ended up being paralyzed or in the ICU for weeks or months or even losing a life. This is that kind of car accident. And and so, trust me, there's no doubt in my mind that, that we were blessed to be able to walk away with maybe just a couple scratches. But it almost seemed like the implication was then, because people said that we were blessed to be able to walk away from that would we not have been blessed if one of us was paralyzed? Or in the ICU for weeks or months? When we say that you are so blessed, I think what we really mean is, is lucky. That's, that's good things that have happened to you, but that's not the biblical idea of blessing that we see. I think the perfect example of this is when Isaac was blessing his son Esau. Esau. Isaac knew his days were numbered and, and he calls Esau in to give him a blessing, but he says, first go out and, and, and kill an animal and make me a stew and, and make me some dinner first. And, and Jacob ends up coming in. Jacob comes in and he steals the blessing. He pretends to be his brother. He, he gives his, his father some food and, and he actually gets the blessing instead of Esau. And Esau comes in and he is furious. Because it wasn't just a sneeze that happened and and his father said, Bless you, no. A blessing meant something so much more. And Esau begged his father, Please, you've you've got to bless me in some way. Surely you saved something to bless me with. father said, No, I'm sorry. I, I blessed your brother instead. The blessing means something. So we get to this section in Matthew chapter 5 where we see who's blessed. And I just want to go through these pretty quickly and and kind of get an overview. And we we could dive into each one of these, but we're just going to kind of do an overview this morning. And the first thing he says is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. This does have a, a poverty kind of connotation to it. But what Jesus does here, what Matthew records Jesus saying here, Is more in the spiritual sense in this idea that we are totally and completely dependent on God. And it is something that poverty helps us in. There's a reason Jesus told many of his disciples to go sell everything they had and then come follow him. When we don't have anything in this world, our actual dependence on God is greater. You know, we we don't understand poverty not real poverty, with, with a grocery store in every direction within a mile, with fast food restaurants every quarter mile, with, with credit cards, with, with ways that we can, we can eat. We don't need to literally depend on God and wonder where our next meal is coming from, but there's some in this world who do. And the stories of how God has provided for them, and I talked to a missionary for 10 minutes and you could hear 20 stories of the amazing provisions of God. But there is a very real dependence on God that they're almost forced into, that people are forced into when they have nothing. And maybe sometimes we should force ourselves into having nothing so that we can learn to be dependent on God. Blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. There's a couple different ways we can understand this. First, as I'm sure what came to mind, is those who have experienced immense and deep heartache and heartbreak. And those who are mourning. Those who weep. Those who are broken hearted. There's a blessing here that they will be comforted. But one commentary I read pointed out how if you look at the other Beatitudes here. It's something that we can cultivate in our heart. You know, we can, we can depend on God more. We can cultivate a heart of dependence on God. We can cultivate a heart of humility, a heart of hungering. Hungering, that's great. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can cultivate those attitudes and those mentalities in our heart. And we can also cultivate a heart of mourning. We can mourn over our sin in our lives. We can mourn over injustice in this world. We can cultivate a heart that weeps with those who weep. We cultivate a heart of mourning and either way, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Uh, every translation I looked at also had a little footnote going back to Isaiah 61. And Isaiah 61 is that place that Jesus read from the scroll that it says today, this is prophecies being fulfilled in your presence, talking about Him talking about Jesus and His role. And it says, starting in verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees planted by the Lord to glorify Him. Jesus is the Comforter, that those who mourn when we cultivate a heart of mourning or when we are brokenhearted will never leave us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And He loves us deeper than anyone else ever can or will. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Some translations will use um, gentle or... Uh, meek instead of humble here. Uh, and this Greek word is only used a small handful of times in Scripture, four or five times, and three or four of them is used to describe Jesus. This mentality, this attitude that Jesus had of submission before God, not, not a, a weakness, not a, um, uh, a physical weakness or, or, or laziness or anything like that, but, but, a, but a choice a choice to humble ourselves before God, a choice to be submissive to God, is blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There's a desire in all of us that we desire, we long for things in this world. We're tempted to, to long for things in this world. And Jesus says, no, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, those who long for doing the right thing. For, for righteousness, for right living, right acting, but when no one else is around, when no one else is going to know, when, when it doesn't impact anyone else. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And these are the first four that to describe this relationship, this vertical relationship between us and God. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As I read this, I couldn't help but think, what if the biggest excuse that non-Christians had on why they couldn't become a Christian was because they, could, they, they thought they couldn't be merciful enough. How crazy would that be? Because I'm not sure that many people actually think of Christians as merciful. I'm not sure that's actually the first word that people think of when they think of Christians, but that is what we should be known for, right? Having mercy. Not just on each other in this room, not just <clears throat> our friends and family, but, but on people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart they will see God. Purity is not something popular in our world today, is it? And we don't actually have to look outside the world. In fact, statistics show that purity is not something very prevalent in the church today. 74% of church-going men, over 50% of pastors, view pornography on a regular basis. 76% of teenagers actively seek out pornography church is just as prevalent in the church as it is in the world today pornography is an industry that makes more than the NFL MLB and NBA combined it makes more than ABC CBS and NBC combined it's the biggest addiction in our world today and if we can cultivate a pure heart impacts how we see each other. It impacts how we treat each other. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Is this not what the Son of God came to do? To make peace between us and God? To, 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 uh, uh, to fix this relationship between us and God? I think sometimes we... Uh, we have this idea of peace more based in Romans chapter twelve, eighteen, which is one of the most like more exit doors in this verse than, than any other verse that I'm aware of. If possible, Paul says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, it just wasn't possible. I did everything I could. They didn't want peace. Well, that situation over there, it didn't really involve me. There are so many outs that we have in this Scripture, but Jesus says, no, no. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who make peace, who step in to those situations to make peace. Not to say, oh, you're the winner, you're the loser, and and to, to judge between the two, but to redeem, to restore the relationship, which is what Jesus did on the cross for us, right? To step in and make peace. That is what we are called to do. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. There's a lot of persecution in our world today. I think there's a lot of persecution, not just in, in Christianity today, but um, we could substitute another word in here, bullying, and it's pretty similar. And, and when most of us were growing up, if we were bullied at school, we could go home and we could escape that. But with technology and social media today, Kids in school today don't get an escape from it. They're bullied at school, and it continues on social media, or it starts on social media and it follows them to school. It is hard, and this persecution—what what what Jesus is is blessing those who are persecuted here. It's it's not it's not generic persecution. It's not this persecution that sometimes we think that we face here in America, but but persecution for doing righteousness because of righteousness, because we're doing the right thing, because we're merciful to a fault that people are persecuting us, because we're displaying the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, because we are, are doing the right thing, because we are loving people the way God has called us to. And if we can really do that, church, if we can really do do the right thing as god's called us to and there will be persecution there will be bullying there will be people making fun of us cuz it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world there are a lot of things in this passage here that are also challenges for us to cultivate a heart of a heart of mercy a heart of righteousness a heart of purity Uh, there are a lot of, of things that we are challenged to do as followers of Christ. And it's hard. It's hard. But what we see here is that Jesus says, you are blessed when you live in right relationships. You are blessed when you can live in right relationship between you and God. You're blessed when you can live in right relationship between you and others. You are blessed when you can live in right relationship. And right relationship starts with the heart. Right relationship starts with the whole and and cultivating, developing the heart of mercy, the heart of humility and meekness, the heart of a poor spirit dependent on God. And when we can develop this heart then we can effectively communicate the gospel. Then we can effectively communicate to the rest of the world the change that's happened in our life because of Jesus. We've entitled this part of the series, re because what we believe Jesus is doing in this passage and in the others to come that we're going to talk about in the next few weeks is that He's clarifying the widespread misconceptions about what faith is the religious leaders of this day put more of a, an emphasis on making the right sacrifices, on doing the right things publicly so that people could see it. And Jesus comes and he, he says, no, 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 you guys missed the point. It's not about doing. It's about right relationship. It's about a right heart. It's about cultivating this heart, this, these, these characters in your heart, in your soul. We're going to see in the next few weeks how... Jesus says a lot of, you have heard it said this, but I tell you that. And when we look in the Old Testament, when we look in the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus and these teachings, what we see is that God hasn't changed. So many times we like to see, like, God is this way in the Old Testament, but now he's this way in the New Testament. And we deeply believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That there is a consistency to God and who He is that has not changed, that will not change. And that God was the same in the Old Testament as He is today. And He is the same in the Old Testament as He he is in the New Testament. That it, it is the same God. But what happens sometimes is that we end up getting planted in soil. That's no good. We all know the importance of soil and roots for plants, for trees. And sometimes we ended up getting planted in a sandy area, in an area full of weeds. And what Jesus does is he comes along and says, No, no, I want to replant you in the truth of who I am, in the truth of what, what the Old Testament teaches about God. And I want to replant you. I want to re-root you in good soil. Teaching you the truth about who I am and what I expect. And, and he clarifies. He, he communicates in a, in a way to clarify what had been miscommunicated for so long. Church, we struggle with the same thing. You're probably a little bit more used to me standing up and being all over the place and a little bit more excitement in my voice when I when I preach. Maybe it's been a little bit of a long week and I'm just tired. There's a study that you might be familiar with <clears throat> that says that 7% of what we communicate are the actual words that are spoken. I did a little bit of research into that and it might not be 7%. It was taken from a couple different studies and numbers merged together and it was messy and complicated. But but the truth is still there that a very small percentage of what we communicate are actually the words that we say. It's one reason why I hate texting. Anyone else hate texting? Alrighty, I'm not alone in this. Thank you. I mean, I prefer it. Don't get me wrong. I love texting but you can never communicate tone. A text message conversation can take three days to complete, especially if you're texting with my wife. She's terrible at getting back to people. Love you, babe. Um, (laughs) But you pick up the phone, and you can have the exact same conversation in three minutes instead of three days. And you hear the tone in someone's voice, and it changes everything. I can sit up here, and I can try to teach and explain Scripture and share my heart. But if we sit over coffee for the same 30-minute period, it would be so different. And church, what we see, blessings from God here in Matthew 5, what we see the expectation of in the example of Jesus is not to be Christians who have a lot to say that shout it with a fist raised up in the air but a heart that is cultivated by these attributes here that Jesus talks about. What we try to accomplish by being loud on social media, telling the world about what they're doing wrong, what we try to accomplish by, by shouting at the top of our lungs that the world is doing wrong and how much they need Jesus is so so much better communicated through a poor spirit, through a heart that mourns, a heart of humility, a heart of being hungry and thirsty for righteousness, a heart of mercy, a heart of purity, a heart of making peace, a heart so committed to righteousness that we're persecuted because of it. And if we can live this out, we don't need to shout to the world. Our lives will be evidence of the truth of the Gospel, of Jesus' love for the rest of the world. We don't have to be in other people's face. We just have to be. We have to be these things in our hearts. And there's no miscommunicating to God. There's no fake it till you make it with God. There's no put on a smile and a pretty, pretty face and, a, and make your hair done and looking good. There, there's no faking it with God because He sees your heart. He knows your heart. And So church, I just have a simple question for you what are you cultivating in your heart? What are you cultivating in your heart? You you can show us a whole lot of things here. But take a moment and be honest between you and God. What are you cultivating in your heart? Is it a heart of purity, of mourning, of mercy? Because there's a natural outflow and those, those will be naturally evident to all who see. But it takes work to keep up a face. It takes work to convince the world of a hunger and thirst for righteousness, of mercy, of humility. It takes work to convince everyone of this. And sooner or later, you're going to get burned out. You're going to get tired. It's exhausting. But if we can cultivate a heart of these characters these characteristics, it will come so naturally and a tenfold better testimony to the goodness of God. Father God, I am so so sorry for the ways that I have not cultivated this heart in my life. For the ways I have tried to force it and do the right things instead of being who You've called me to be. God, You set such a perfect example for us in Jesus, and we can never attain perfection as He did, but we could do better. So God, give us the discipline to do better, the determination to do better, and give us the honesty Look in the mirror that we need to see where we need to do better. Lord, we love You. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.